kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to a very special vintage video Patreon pick where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team. Overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Michael Burgett has asked us to review Gojira, released November 3rd, 1954. It was written by Takeo Murata and Ishiro Honda, based on a story by Tomoyuki Tanaka and Aiji Tsuburaya, directed by Ishiro Honda and released by Toho. On March 1st of 1954, the United States was testing a thermonuclear bomb at Bikini Atoll. Local Japanese fishermen were ordered out of the area for the test with little explanation, and one ship, the Lucky Dragon 5, ignored the warning, expecting to profit from fishing without competition, and were instead blasted with radiation from an explosion 1,000 times more powerful than the bombs dropped on Hiroshima or Nagasaki. They were far enough away to survive the day and most recovered from their radiation sickness, but the Lucky Dragon's radio man eventually succumbed to his sickness on September 23rd the same year and became the first official victim of the hydrogen bomb. One month later, Gojira made its world premiere. One month later? Yeah, the so movie came out. They had they knew about the bomb, but this was the first time it had been detonated? This was the first H-bomb. There were atom bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. But this was the first hydrogen bomb. Right, but they refer to it in the movie. So, like, yes, people knew about the H-bomb. It just had Correct. not been dropped anywhere. Yes. Wow, that's really interesting. Extremely timely. It's extraordinarily timely and, and, and kind of shocking. I mean, I guess you know that there's something worse than the worst thing that you've seen happen, and you can write a movie about it. Yeah. But that's Well, the bomb exploded in March. And the guy didn't die from his sickness until October, and the movie came out in November. Well, when did production? The, the, but but yeah. the production took no inspiration from this event. No, but it seems like they did based on the cold open because right, right, right. it's such a similar situation. Yeah, well, and just everything that they talk about in the film. Just right, that, yeah. I, it, I guess it's just kind of shocking to me that it hadn't been inspired by the dropping of an actual H-bomb. No, it was, it was inspired more by the atomic bombs dropped in the 40s, but this is right around the end of the American occupation of Japan. And so they were learning for the first time the truth of what happened to their country and how many people were killed by it. And so that information for the Japanese people was fairly fresh. It had only been a couple years since America left and they were able to freely discuss huh. the, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Interesting. Flying home from the scrapped plans of a Japanese-Indonesian co-production called In the Shadow of Glory, Regular Kurosawa producer Tomoyuki Tanaka began development on a monster movie inspired in part by Ray Harryhausen's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, a story of a reptilian dinosaur-type creature awoken by atomic blasts and attacking New York City. Two of Gojira's writing credits are for a story entitled The Giant Monster from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, so very similar mm -hmm. in premise. The name Gojira, as we mentioned in our Patreon review of Godzilla vs. Hedora, comes from the Japanese words Gorira and Kujira, meaning gorilla and whale, respectively. In an earlier draft, Gojira was imagined as an enormous octopus, and later, a mushroom cloud-headed monster. 
on the way to his final design, a combination of a T-Rex and Iguanodon with spinal plates in the style of a Stegosaurus, but with a sort of fungal shape to them. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind a of coral. enjoying the idea of it being a gorilla whale, though. Like that, that was that was an early idea of the character. Yeah, that's great. It was basically like an aquatic King Kong. Production began with the title Project G for Giant, not Gojira, when planned in the Shadow of Glory director Senkichi Taniguchi turned down Gojira, he was replaced with longtime Akira Kurosawa collaborator Ishiro Honda. The Gojira suit in the film was built from a bamboo frame with metal mesh and layers of latex. It weighed 220 oh. pounds at first. Oh, God. <laughs> but it is replaced in several scenes with a hand puppet, for instance, whenever the atomic breath is being used. I can't. How do you even function in a 200 pound suit they ended up having to cut it in half around the waist mm -hmm. and use some scenes like when godzilla's walking through a water for the top half and then when he's stepping on things they use and the what bottom like half. suspend it from a crane like <laughs> you yeah you basically had to wire the guy I mean, up i can't imagine wearing 100 pound suspenders you know? right exactly <laughs> and then then go into the water with them yeah right, exactly drag yourself through the water and then very specifically and carefully step on exact buildings and train cars and shit, and you only get <laughs> one take. I didn't think he was being super precise with his <laughs> yeah, stepping. <no>. Well, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you get one take. Don't yeah. screw it up. No, they, and they screwed up plenty and had to rebuild stuff from scratch. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Haruo Nakajima and Katsumi Tezuka, the actors who portray Gojira in the film, took a beating on set, losing significant weight from the effort of piloting the costume, and takes were limited to three minutes because any longer and the Gojira actors would pass out from the heat inside. The film obviously makes use of extensive, highly detailed miniatures. The production also had lots of cooperation from the JSDF, the Japan Self-Defense Force, populating scenes with uniformed military personnel. They were also provided with World War II stock footage, which was worked into the plot. Yeah, that worked pretty well. Yeah, I, I thought I so thought, too. I mm -hmm. thought that was great. It was very uh, Sans of Iwo Jima. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gojira was one of the most expensive Japanese films ever made at the time, but also set records in the box office. Its popularity was proven international with an American re-release two years later entitled Godzilla King of the Monsters, which removed several references to the events of World War II and added in an American journalist character named Steve Martin, played by Raymond Burr. The film made even more money in America than it did in Japan. There are currently 29 films in Toho's main Godzilla series, with a 30th film set to release this November, four American Godzilla films, and three animated films. The Toho main series is split up into eras, the first being the Showa era, as a reference to the ruling emperor at the time and lasting from 54 to 75, followed by the Heisei era, named after Showa's successor. The Heisei era ended in 95, and the series basically retired until the poorly received American adaptation, Godzilla 1998, inspired a Japanese reboot called Godzilla 2000, kicking off the Millennium Era, the shortest era so far, which ended with Godzilla Final Wars five years later. The current series has been labeled the Raiwa Era and includes Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi's Shin Godzilla and a trilogy of animated films. America also rebooted their MonsterVerse over at Legendary with a trilogy of Godzilla films ending with a face-off against the new King Kong introduced in Kong Skull Island. Another Godzilla vs. Kong film is currently planned for release next year. The Godzilla license was also briefly owned by Marvel, where the monster was pitted against the Avengers in a few really? issues. Yeah. The film starts with the sound of Gojira's stomps and shrieks over the Toho logo and opening credits. 
I'm going to call him Gojira because that was the original title of the original mm-hmm. Godzilla film, but I might accidentally call <laughs> call him Godzilla occasionally because that's the American name of the character. The roar was produced by rubbing a glove along the strings of a contrabass. Then we see the crew of a ship at sea, the Ico Maru, blinded by what looks like an underwater explosion, a huge bright glow from beneath the surface, and quickly their ship is on fire and tipping in the water. An emergency signal is broadcast ashore as the craft goes under. The message is received and delivered to a man named Ogata at South Seas Salvage. He's being called in for duty to respond to the sunken ship and apologizes to his lady friend Emiko. He has to head to the Coast Guard's office. They were going to see a show today, the Budapest String Quartet, and he tells her that she can still make it if she hurries. But he literally just got the call from the Coast Guard, so they were mm-hmm. already running late before he well, canceled last minute on her. And he's and they're definitely not like like he's not ready to go. Unless he's going very business casual in just like a wife beater and like a shirt over the top of it. Yeah. He ushers her out the door and we cut to a command center with a big map of Japan on the wall. An older man rushes in and asks what's going on. The incident is described to him as something similar to Myojin Show, a famous underwater volcanic eruption in the early 50s. The real-life disaster sank the Kaiomaru, a survey vessel, and cost the lives of all 31 souls on board. So a volcano erupted under the water and sank uh-huh. a ship. That's interesting. In the film, the connection to the Ico Maru went dead, and a second ship, the Bingo Maru, has been dispatched to investigate the area. If that doesn't work, they'll send the Kobayashi Maru. Because <laughs> they'll need rescuing. Right. We cut back out to sea, just as the Bingo drifts into another brightly glowing patch of water, and the ship explodes. Word gets back to the Coast Guard that a second freighter was sunk in the same location. The office is already being swarmed by the families of the two missing crews. The families are impatient for answers, and back at sea, a third ship full of fishermen locates a trio of survivors on a makeshift raft. The rescued men report an explosion in the water, but before they can return to nearby Odo Island, the fishing boat also explodes. We get a montage of headlines trying to explain the disasters. The people on Odo Island crowd the beaches looking out to sea, and one day, a raft floats in with a final survivor named Masaji. They're very rough with him, trying to slap him awake on the beach. Sometime later, a troop of fishermen return to the island with empty nets in a scene that reminded me of the inciting incident of Moana. This island is being starved by some mysterious ancient evil, and like in that film, one of the elders of Odo is quick to blame Gojira, just like in Moana when the guy's like, I bet Gojira did this. (laughs) They tell him Gojira is an old legend and can't be responsible, so he says, I'll feed you stupid cows to Gojira. (laughs) Uh, it's also a similar plot line in uh, Pete's Dragon. Yeah, that's right. They, they blame Pete. Gojira for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they blame Pete's dragon talk right. on, on the fact that he's scaring away all the fish. How dare you? You're, you're talking about dragons too loud and the fish are swimming away. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. They're very sensitive. <laughs> A helicopter lands nearby and reporters emerge to collect testimony from the islanders. That night, a ceremony is acted out by dancers in Tengu masks, and the old man says they used to sacrifice young girls to please Gojira, but hopefully he'll accept this dance instead. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he doesn't. <laughs> Why aren't you sacrificing young girls? Right, is, is that what he's expecting the response to be? I, I feel like he's like, he misses the good old days. <laughs> he's like, make Odo great again, like he wants to go back to sacrificing young girls. Wow. After everyone has gone to be, what the fuck does that mean? Bed? Everyone went somewhere to be. 
just got everyone be. was elsewhere. <laughs> they were, and they always will be. <laughs> they are probably bad. After everyone has gone to bed, a sudden stomping can be heard outside. The house is shaken thoroughly enough to break pieces of wood from the roof. A young boy, Shinkichi, is awoken and runs from the house against his family's protestations. From outside the house, in the pouring rain, he watches as the home of his family collapses with his brother Masaji and his mother still inside. A dark shape seems to push the house over, and it is quickly demolished. The raging storm flips the nearby helicopter on its pad. The next day, a press conference is held to summarize the disaster. The consensus blames the typhoon for the latest damage, but at least one man suggests that the damage to the houses and helicopter pressed down from above is inconsistent with the storm's behavior. Lastly, a paleontologist professor named Yamane is invited to the room. I don't know why you would bring this guy here if everyone yeah. said it was a typhoon. Let's call a paleontologist. Let's get <laughs> Alan Grant out here. He hasn't even visited the site and is embarrassed to offer any theories, but he mentions recent footprint casts collected in the Himalayas believed to imply the existence of a Yeti. All right. Thank you so much, sir, for your time. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> we shouldn't rule the- anything out, Yeti. Director Ishiro Honda's next film was actually a Yeti story, entitled Beast Man Snowman, released in the U.S. as Half Human. Unclear if he was trying to connect the two films. <laughs> he says that there are cavities deep in the ocean still in need of investigating. The next day, a research vessel is dispatched to explore Odo Island. What? Did you, did, is that what she said? Just go through your head again? Or? Well, no, I was thinking about cavities. I was like, oh, the cavity creeps. We put holes in reefs. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, no, the cavity creeps? No. Well, cavity creeps say, we put holes in teeth. We put holes in teeth. <laughs> like It's like it was like part of a commercial. <laughs> what is that from? It's like a Colgate commercial or something. I don't remember that no. at all. But I was thinking if they were in the water, they'd be putting holes in reefs. <laughs> Instead of teeth. <laughs> anyway, Beautiful. It made me laugh. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway. He says there are cavities deep under the ocean still in need of investigating. The next day, a research vessel is dispatched to explore Odo Island and the surrounding waters. In the crowd at the dock is Sarazawa, or Sherizawa? Who's taking boats to this island anymore? <laughs> Stupid after, people. <laughs> after three of them? Yeah. You know what? It kind of makes sense, though, because there's this huge celebration of the boat departing, probably because, like, like we're never going to see you again. So, this <laughs> so is long. Our, our final goodbye. I mean, they make the same comment here, too, basically. In the crowd at the dock is Sherizawa, or Sarazawa, a young scientist with an eye patch. Ogata and Emiko are surprised he left his lab to see them off. Ogata suspects he was worried Emiko wouldn't make it back, so it was like an official goodbye. But he doesn't like warn her not to go, so I don't think that's what's going on here. They reach Odo and walk through the impressively staged wreckage. They wave Geiger counters around and detect dangerous radiation levels, but only on one side of the island. The paleontologist points to the shape they're standing in and suggests it may be an enormous footprint. The footprint also sheds radiation. Professor Yamane finds a trilobite in the enormous footprint, thought to be millions of years extinct, but this one seems to be alive, for now at least, despite having been stepped on by Gojira. Suddenly, a man rings a bell at the island's highest point to signal the steady thumps of an oncoming creature. The scientists approach the island's highest hill, and when Gojira peers over the top at them, they take some quick photographs and then run for it. Emiko falls in the confusion, but Ogata carries her away. We learn here that the paleontologist is Emiko's father. From this high vantage point, the team can see the large footprints heading back to the ocean, and the creature is gone. 
Back in the building where they held the press conference earlier, the paleontologist gives a very misleading slideshow presentation yeah. about the history of the Earth, suggesting that many species of dinosaurs were in their peak a mere 2 million years ago, <laughs> 63 million years after they all died. Yeah, he calls it the Jurassic period. I was like, no, the Jurassic period was was significantly further back. And then he calls it the Cretaceous period. He blames H-bomb tests for waking the creature and driving it from his cave. He presents as evidence a trilobite stuck to Gojira's foot. The shell was found to contain dust from the Jurassic strata of the Earth's crust. He blames H-bomb tests because Gojira's radiation contains traces of strontium-90 from the bombs. One group of men at the assembly suggests keeping the connection to the H-bombs secret to avoid a panic, but another woman in the audience is insistent that the public be as informed as possible. Sometime later, word of Gojira's attacks on many Japanese ships is all over the papers, and a woman on the train laments that she narrowly escaped Nagasaki before the bombing, and now a huge monster is attacking the country. Obviously, this line is removed from the American cut of the film. The Disaster Response Center is overrun with protesters demanding action be taken so that they can return to work operating their fishing boats. An announcement is made that warships will be attacking Gojira at his current coordinates with depth charges, and we get some stock footage of actual depth charges being deployed and triggered. Seeing the footage on television, Emiko's father Yamane is disturbed and leaves the room. Emiko leaves to check on him, leaving Ogata alone with Shinkichi, the boy whose family were killed when Gojira toppled his home. Apparently Yamane adopted this kid? Or, you know, just... Just offering him a place yeah. for the meantime. It's it's loose in trying times. I feel like he might have moved in with someone else on the island where he lived that knew him. And not a stranger that came and waved a Geiger counter around the remains of his house. It's also strange that Ogata and Emiko spend so much time together when she seems betrothed to Dr. Sarazawa. But I don't know how things worked in Japan at the time. No. No, I think it's the other way around. My understanding is that they had a former relationship that was over and now this is her new relationship. So, but the father doesn't know yet about the new relationship, but she's already broken it off with. She has not broken it off with him. She is right now set to be married to Dr. Sarazawa. Okay. That was not my understanding. But, but okay. she was going on a date to this orchestra and she right now is having dinner in her house with this other guy who she likes more, but she is set to marry the other guy. Like it was arranged without her necessarily without oh, her consent I see. I see what you're saying so yeah. okay that kind of makes sense shinkichi is confused why yamane is so upset and ogata explains that the man wants to study gojira not kill it we cut to a party boat moving through tokyo bay and gojira surfaces in the water beside it terrifying all on board but he doesn't attack mm -hmm. just shows up and he's like hey y'all and then turns around yamane is invited back to the disaster response center to offer guidance on how to kill gojira he informs them that if it can survive an H-bomb, nothing will do the trick. We cut to a newspaper office where Hagiwara, a young reporter, is assigned to interview Dr. Sarazawa, who he recognizes as Yamane's soon-to-be son-in-law. The man giving the assignment and the man seated at the table nearest to them are the two actors who traded off playing Gojira throughout the film. Aww. We cut to Ogata's office where Emiko is admitting that she's always thought of Sarazawa as more of a brother and nothing more. Ogata urges her to tell him that and to break it off. Hagiwara finds Emiko at Ogata's office and asks her to please convince her fiancé to submit to an interview because he's been evasive. Emiko decides to accomplish both tasks in a single visit and turns down Ogata's offer to accompany her. Ogata gives Shinkichi a motorcycle ride to Yamane to discuss the boy's schooling and Emiko gets Hagiwara to see Sarazawa. 
that was easy to say all in one piece. <laughs> a little birdie told Hagiwara that Serizawa is working on a weapon to kill Gojira, and he denies the charges, so Hagiwara leaves. After the reporter leaves, Serizawa goes out on a limb and shares his experiment with Emiko. I don't know why he does this. Uh, I, well, because uh, well, he's if, just so excited about it. Well, but if like you're saying it is is they are to be wed, he's like, well, you should know all about my work, basically. Why she should not know about his work? <laughs> he should not have told her anything. I think he was just. I need to tell someone. I think this was like a situation where it's just like, oh my god, I'm going crazy with this in my head by myself. So many fish I've killed. <laughs> it's weighing on my conscience. <laughs> He leads her to a large fish tank in his laboratory and drops in a pellet of his latest invention and the water in the tank foams over. He forces Emiko to watch until she can't take it and buries her face in his shoulder. On the way out, she promises not to tell anyone what she's seen and decides against breaking up with him just yet, in case he drops one of these pellets in her drink later. Mm -hmm. At home, she can't even tell Ogata what happened. Suddenly, Gojira can be heard stomping around outside. When he surfaces from the water in the bay, a row of soldiers open fire on him. Gojira stumbles up out of the water, kicking through buildings, stepping right on the track in front of an oncoming passenger train. The whole thing derails at his feet, and he picks up one of the cars in his mouth before crushing several more underfoot. Yeah, this train is moving extremely fast, and they, they cut to it's like- Japan. Well, but they cut the people inside, and the train crashes. It's like, They're no. just jostled. Yeah, it's just like, oh, the train. It's like, no, you guys are all dead. Yeah, yeah you guys also splatter against the wall. through the train yeah. windows, yeah. yes. But this is really brutal. Like yeah. for like his first like direct interaction with people that he's like picks up a car and chews it in half and mm -hmm. then stomps on another one full of people that are climbing out of the windows. Honestly, this movie I I've seen other Godzilla movies. Yeah. I I, I hadn't seen this one. And the violence of this one it's brutal honestly i was a little taken aback because you know a lot of the other ones are a, like kind of cheesy and a little tongue-in-cheek with their you know everything that's happening yeah. and this one is i i mean like i, I get that it, it was kind of done cheaply but they didn't do it uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't know they they didn't skimp on on the fact that this is devastating and brutal right and and i feel like in other godzilla films when he's destroying things it's usually like just a building it just it's just like a geometric shape yeah, we don't we don't cut inside the building yeah. to like a classroom full of children dying right mm -hmm. you yeah know? Like the, the, the <laughs> inserts here are are killer yeah gojira moves to a large bridge and tears it right out of its foundation before turning around and disappearing into the sea uh I suppose I should save this for the end, but in rewatching uh, Shin Godzilla, it was like, oh man, there's so many set pieces that this follows. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and the br the bridge sequence is one of them. Yeah. The next plan is to construct an enormous electric fence to stop Gojira. The whole thing comes together surprisingly quickly. Back at Yamane's home, he's still confounded by the nation's disinterest in protecting this one-of-a-kind discovery to learn from it, apparently unswayed in his preference by what must have been thousands of deaths the night before, because it knocked over many city blocks worth mm -hmm. of buildings. Yeah. Now there's fires raging out of control. Yeah. And Ogata tries to talk some sense into him, and Yamana makes Ogata leave his home. A radio announces Gojira's approach to the electric fence. Cannons are trained on the monster as well. We see a quick insert of a hand flipping a switch to turn the fence on. Incidentally, this is the hand of director Ishiro Honda. Gojira makes fast work of the fence, tearing it down like so many spider webs, and then he unleashes a new power, atomic breath, which melts the towers to the ground with extreme heat. 
this was a little hard. Like I, I didn't realize what he was doing because it's just like an aerosol spray coming. Yeah, out and, and and because it's in black and white, like it gets, um, it glows like white hot, which you can see in the black and white, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. I, like I was like, is he blowing fire? Because there's no or is fire. This just smoke. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't understand that that was atomic breath. In later films. And specifically the colored ones, it's usually a blue flame and it's bright white, like completely opaque. It's not as, it it almost looks like mist coming out of his mouth Right. right now. The effect of these melting power lines was accomplished by building them from wax and then blasting them with set lights until they melted on their own. Well, that's cool. Along with the atomic breath, the spines on Gojira's back glow brightly. The same breath is turned on buildings and crowds of people and fire trucks race in a futile effort to keep up with the ever expanding flames. People pile into back alleys to avoid the monster's passing feet. When a row of tanks open fire on the monster, they seem for the first time to have an effect, but a negligible one. He at least notices now that Mm -hmm. he's getting hit with something. Gojira turns its ire on every building it encounters, and down at street level, a woman surrenders to the monster, telling her children that they will all be with their father soon, i.e. in heaven. Yeah, so like, (laughs) I was just, I I was already a little on edge by how sort of violent they were showing all of these attacks to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was about sobbing at this point. Yeah. I'm like, what? They're just giving Why up. There's this nothing we can do. Godzilla movie making me cry. What yeah. is happening? It's so dark. Like, I don't think any Godzilla movie after this gets as dark as this one does. It's intense. And we're about to cut into like some uh, like recovery camp. Yeah. That is equally brutal. Like, yeah. to, like, this is as brutal as any war movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A clock tower starts chiming and Gojira decapitates it. A news team reports on the conflagration from a rooftop overlooking the scene. Gojira takes out more buildings with stomps and tail whips and more atomic breath, and people race to evacuate the city. He takes down the Diet Building, a well known governmental landmark, which audiences applauded in the film's initial release. Photographers. Wait, wait, what? They applauded the taking down of a building? The government building, yeah. Why? For the same reason that, that Americans might applaud, like, blowing up the White House or blowing up Congress, that they're like, yeah, take that, government. Oh, so not just because it's cool, but because... No, because they were like, yeah, yeah, we're tired of this. Like, weirdly, audiences sympathized with the monster almost as much as they sympathized with the Japanese people in this story. Because neither of them asked for this to happen. This is being forced on them by other people in charge by their government specifically because obviously they didn't ask like there wasn't a unanimous vote for pearl harbor to take place and that is the reason that bombs were dropped on their country and killed innocent people the press photographed the monster from the deck of a high tower above the flaming landscape and gojira starts chewing on the tower and sends it toppling hundreds of feet to the ground and you see these people just falling off of it along the way Sarazawa watches a televised broadcast as Gojira returns to the sea and takes out a few bridges on his way out. JSDF jets are called into formation and take parting shots at the monster but seem to have no effect beside annoying him. He disappears back under the water. The next day, half of Tokyo is rubble and hospitals are overrun with radioactive survivors. I wouldn't say that the the missiles have no effect on him they're not hitting they him. all miss him yeah <laughs> like they're all set on strings to like buzz past yeah. this guy in a mm. suit so they aren't actually like hurting him or setting him on fire but i'm like you kind of miss the point of yeah. these things one actually... of these should hit him at least <laughs> yeah like it just it just looks bad on you that none yeah. of them are hitting them the next day half of tokyo is rubble and hospitals are overrun with radioactive survivors children watch their dead parents carried away by hospital staff 
oh god like this the, girl just sobbing the girl sobbing for her mother that's being carried away and the woman picks her up and then like passes her off to a nurse and it's yeah. just like okay all right we need to get out of this scene yeah. here <laughs> emiko can no longer keep sarazawa's secret she tells ogata about the weapon that could kill gojira and we see a flashback to what she saw in the fish tank the water bubbled over and the flesh evaporated from these fish leaving only skeletons and then the bones themselves dissolved away he calls it an oxygen destroyer it breaks down the oxygen atoms in the water which would presumably leave just hydrogen in the tank but it somehow defleshes everything he had intended to build a powerful new energy source and accidentally stumbled upon an all-powerful weapon he doesn't want to share it with the world because in the wrong hands it would make the h-bomb look like sticks and stones i don't quite understand his logic here because he basically says i'm not gonna i'm not gonna share it with anybody until i figure out like it's good use like what mm. is the good use that isn't a weapon but i'm like isn't it always potentially a weapon yeah if, even if it has a valid use that's not a weapon unless he can somehow disguise the weaponization of it to make it just a power source i, I, I dudes will turn anything into a weapon like that's you true. can't that's not like it's not possible so i just feel like he seems so like vigilant in this in this movie about being like good and not allowing this to 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 enter the world but he thinks that there's a way that it can and that just seems wrong yeah well i mean it it is a power source also but it's kind of like uh raise the titanic where it's like yeah it's a power source but that's totally not what anyone's going to use it for the the second we said we Mm -hmm. had a great power source people were like awesome we can make a bomb with it yeah it's, it's the arc reactor yeah Emiko is embarrassed to have broken her promise to Sarazawa, but Ogata assures her that Sarazawa will understand. They confront him together, and Sarazawa still refuses to allow the oxygen destroyer to be used in their efforts to kill Godzilla. It's not like he doesn't know that Godzilla is attacking this island. Right. So, I don't understand why- Well, it was attacking Odo, now it's attacking the mainland. But I don't know why they think that- this would suddenly change his mind Right, that's true. If he knows he has a weapon- Yeah. He refuses to allow the oxygen destroyer to be involved in their efforts to destroy Gojira. Desperate to use the weapon, Ogata literally starts a fist fight with the scientist and gets his ass handed to him. Sarazawa fears if they use the oxygen destroyer that he will be tortured by the government until he reveals its inner workings and he can't allow himself to contribute to the further weaponization of the planet. Basically, he's like the good version of Oppenheimer. Where he's like, I made a bomb, but I can't tell anybody how I did this because then they'll use it. He regrets inventing it in the first place. We see another television broadcast of all the damage and stuffed hospitals. A gymnasium full of children sing a somber, unsubtitled song, and Sarazawa is moved. He turns off the television and collects his research to destroy it with fire. He will create a one-time-use version of this technology. Emiko cries while his contribution to science burns. Later, we see a ship locating Gojira with a Geiger counter. Sarazawa will go on the dive with Ogata to destroy the monster. They dive together with the oxygen destroyer in hand, and we follow them deep underwater. They find Gojira napping on the ocean floor, and Sarazawa's eye patch looks even more badass in this diving helmet than it did on the surface. <laughs> Gojira starts marching quietly toward the men, who lure him along with their weapon. When the monster is close enough to kill, Ogata pulls the cord on his suit to inflate it and allow his quick escape, but Sarazawa doesn't follow. Ogata realizes too late that he is surfacing alone. <laughs> now i was a little confused at this point are we sure that um sarazawa didn't 
do it for him and no it's like you're heading up i'm staying down no they were both supposed to do it at the same time mm-hmm. and he does it with his own hand he, okay he pulls a string because it looks like he goes over to him right when that's about to happen yeah he doing... like taps him on the shoulder or something yeah, yeah like okay or or was that the signal like okay we're going we're ready to go and yeah he just didn't do it so, exactly okay. yeah, yeah. Sarazawa stands alone at the feet of the monster and activates the oxygen destroyer. It bubbles furiously and Gojira spins in the water. Sarazawa radios to the surface that the weapon is working and he tells Ogata and Emiko to be happy together. He unsheaths a knife and cuts his oxygen line so he can't be pulled back up to the boat. Bubbles from the weapon reach the surface and a half-dissolved Gojira surfaces for one last bark into the sky and then an enormous skeleton sinks to the ocean floor and disappears. The victory is broadcast home by press on board the ship, and everyone else cries over the loss of Sarazawa. Yamane worries aloud that if H-bomb testing is allowed to continue, that Gojira is unlikely the last of his species, and another will surface. The end. So presumably, the second film is about a different Gojira? Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've watched all of these. Because he doesn't reincorporate like Dr. (laughs) Manhattan, just like comes back to being a Godzilla in the ocean. Well, but... When they bring in Mechagodzilla, Mechagodzilla is supposedly made from one of the Godzilla's bones. Okay. Uh, but Just I would like think, Eve? Yeah. No, that was just one, one rib. One of Gojira's ribs. Uh, but uh, I don't remember... I know... I don't remember what the story of the second one is offhand. Because they talk about like the different layers like relating back to the time that, I guess, yeah. Godzilla's roamed the Earth. The Jurassic Strata. And so, in theory correct me if i'm wrong there was a bunch of these guys that were all the size and shape and everything of gojira yes and they all moved into some cavern and were buried somehow but stayed alive down there okay so they're just so there's a whole cavern of little baby gojiras running around and and they're only bad if they get zapped with something like a nuclear bomb that's going to give them no they're they're bad bad if they come out of the cavern and Mm -hmm. start attacking people Otherwise, they stick to themselves underground. But an explosion happened close enough to cause a rupture and open up this cavern to the outside world. And so Gojira came out and was like, hey, cut it the fuck out. Right. But he's only more... Is he Is he, is he both larger and more dangerous because no. of the, the radiation? I mean, he's more dangerous because of the radiation and he's radioactive because of the H-bombs. But that's not what made him big. He was big because he's a dinosaur. Okay. He... he is dangerous because dinosaurs are dangerous um and he's radioactive because of these explosions near him but he's doing more of the damage he, with his feet say, than he be, is with his radiation he'd be equally as terrible even if he wasn't radioactive right. but right. the difference is that the people in the hospital who survived the attack that night are still gonna die because of the radiation mm-hmm. which is the comparison to the atomic bombs that were dropped right. uh, which is the point that even the survivors will die because this is a this is a death that haunts people afterward. Like the the only survivor from all three shipwrecks still dies because Godzilla finds him and kills him afterwards. It's about how you can't escape radiation. It's it's an inescapable death. Really, everyone in this story is going to die because those Geiger counters were going mm-hmm. off like crazy on that boat at the end. Yeah. At the very least, they're going to have some radiation sickness going on. But he's surfaced. <laughs> mm-hmm. If he gives off radiation and you're like a hundred feet away on a boat, yeah, you're gonna. You're not going to do well. Well, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, like I said, I've, I've seen 
seen this a couple of times in different variations of it. Right. Because, again, we mentioned the the Raymond Burr version. Well, you and I did the full Godzilla marathon, right? Right. Um, but that was before Shin Godzilla. Was it that long ago? Yeah, because okay. cause I hadn't seen that one for for a long okay. time. But uh, we watched every Godzilla movie in a row mm-hmm. um, back when there were 28 of them, I right. think. Well, no, I think because I think we got everything that went up to Final Wars. Yeah, Final Wars was the last one. Yeah, which is amazing. Final <laughs> Wars has like every monster from every version of the movie yeah. and Don Fry in there, right? Mm-hmm. Is in Final Wars. Well, and then um, and uh, they kill the ninety-eight, right? Godzilla, which they rename Zilla, but mm-hmm. they kill it like they rip its head off because they hate the American Godzilla so much. It's really wonderful. Final Wars is worth checking out if you haven't seen it. But I just, it was like an all-stars, you know, mm-hmm. it was like the the Avengers end game exactly. of, of Godzilla movies, which I hope they lead to with the new Legendary series. Like, keep introducing more and more monsters and then put them all in one fucking movie together. I want to ha- hear On Your Left come out of Rodan's mouth <laughs> or beak or whatever. Yes, I'm talking about the sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this is a wonderful film. Um, It's very dramatic. I feel like Usually, the part of a Godzilla movie that I don't like are the humans. <laughs> Usually, yeah, I right, just want right, to right. see more monster stuff. And this has a legitimately compelling human story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was um, really surprised by all of that, honestly. And no one's really the bad guy in the human terms. Like, usually there's some people that are making terrible decisions that you're like, oh, I disagree with this person, and this person's causing the problem. And it's like, no no one here is causing the problem. Well, I mean, America the bad guy in this i guess but right. they don't really talk about that that's true and and that part is all taken out of the the whitewashed raymond burr version but yeah america is the one even in this version of the story america are the ones detonating h-bombs underwater so that's why they when they have their their meeting at the disaster response headquarters one of the guys is saying like this will cause an international incident if we blame it on the h-bomb testing because it's like america just left we don't want to start another fight with them right now but yeah, it's uh, it's I th- I think it definitely lives up to the graphics of the day. I think, uh, for the time, it, it looks really great. I think it it benefits from being so dark. Yeah. That uh, a lot of the seams are invisible, so to speak. But that first shot where Godzilla's just pushing past the house in the night and knocks it over, I feel like that works. That that looks completely legit, like a Godzilla knocking over a mm. house. I'm I'm sure the black and white hides all manner of sin in those models. Right. Yeah. But, you know they they look pretty good. I like the models. Yeah, but I think that American movies at the time looked corny and silly that were doing the same thing. Even the Harryhausen stuff. I think like the the Beast of from Twenty Thousand Fathoms is a little bit silly, um, and I don't know if that's just a result of being stop motion animated yeah. on top of being day for day for so much of the movie but this felt like it could have it could have been equally corny and it was shot in a very competent way to make it look real and make it look serious well you said it was it was the most expensive film right right yeah so i mean mo- well most, japanese film right but yeah american you know no one no one is going to make the most expensive american monster film you know it, i mean it, not yet anyway well, th- well i mean at the, in the in the 50s right yeah like they're they're gonna be on a budget a yeah severe budget because monster movies were made because they were cheap right and people would see them anyway but you look at something like uh the day of the earth still from 51 right and the visual effects of that i think are great yeah and, absolutely and, and i mean there are definitely some parts that are cheesy or things that don't work 
but when they do have good visual effects, it really right. is good. And that's more science fiction than monster movie. Really. Right, right. Uh, but uh, but you look at other the monster films of the time are yeah. are like because that was all Century City, right? Where where the ship lands and Gort comes out. It was supposed to, well, I, it's supposed to be in DC. But I don't know where. They but I think I think that's it. where they shot it. Yeah, like right around where the Fox building is. Yeah. Now, our director here was Ishiro Honda, who also played the power station worker who flips the switch. He has several Godzilla titles as well as Rodan, the H Man, Gigantus, the Fire Monster, Mothra, Go Wrath, Space Amoeba, Sayonara Jupiter, segments of Kurosawa's Dreams, not the film, but Kurosawa's actual dreams. <laughs> he directed them. The writer here was Takeo Murata, who has writing credits on nearly all Godzilla adaptations for his hand in creating the character. Same for Shigeru Kiyama, uh, credits on every Godzilla sequel. Tomoyuki Tanaka has a story credit for The Giant Monster from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He also produced the film and many other Godzilla and Kurosawa titles, Go Wrath, Kill, House, and Sayonara Jupiter. Uh, another writer credit, uh, story credit for Aiji Tsuburaya, um, lots of special effects credits on various kaiju titles, and he was the central creative mind behind many of the pioneering effects of the Godzilla series. He was also a DP on 50-plus titles from the 20s and 30s. The music here came from Akira Ifakubi, who has hundreds of composer credits and not much I can specifically recognize, but his famous Godzilla theme is reused in nearly every Godzilla iteration from the 50s well into the 90s. Cinematographer Masao Tamai has two more films with the same title from 57 and 77. Those are the American version of the film mm -hmm. and the 77 colorization of the film. <laughs> but they, this movie technically has four IMDb pages right, for right. the one Godzilla movie. There's a 54, 56, 57, and 77. Akira Takarada played Hideto Ogata. This was his first starring role. He also appears in Mothra vs. Godzilla and Ibira, Horror of the Deep, Akira Takarada was originally supposed to play the Dr. Sarazawa character. And the so the two right. the two guys that are that are trying for her heart mm -hmm. were were swapped at the last second. Well, they made the right choice because the new boyfriend is really cute. Yeah, he's a dreamboat. Yeah. And the other guy actually had an eye patch and a scarred face. So I feel like you should have him play the guy who's supposed to have an eye patch and a scarred face. <laughs> That's not true. I made that up. You believed me listener momoko kochi played emiko yamane she's the same character in a few other godzillas um specifically i think versus destroya um and obviously king of the monsters which is the american version akihiko harada played dr daisuke sarazawa he comes back as the same and sometimes different scientists in several future godzilla sequels and that's also the name of the ken watanabe character in uh the legendary mm. films he's uh he's dr sarazawa Takeshi Shimura played Dr. Kyohai Yamane. He was in Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Ikiru, Stray Dog, and hundreds of other credits. We saw him last as Gyobu Taguchi in Kagimusha. Sachio Sakai played a newspaper reporter, Hagiwara. He was in Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and Hidden Fortress. Taranasuke Ogawa played Nankai Ferry President. He was in Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, and Sanjura. A lot of Kurosawa overlap. Toyoaki Suzuki played Shinkichi Yamada. That's the kid whose house was destroyed. He's back as the same character in Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is the American version. Kokuden Koto played the old fisherman. He's in Seven Samurai and Hidden Fortress. 
Junpai Natsuki played Power Substation Engineer. He's in Seven Samurai and Dreams. Katsumi Tezuka played Gojira and Hagiwara's editor. Uh, he's in lots of Godzilla sequels because he played the character, I think, into the 80s. Like, he, he was the character for a long time in the Godzilla suit. Uh, and same for Nakajima. I think he's, he's in a lot of sequels. Right. Um, and he's also in Seven Samurai. Saburo Ikatani played another news reporter. He is in Rodan, Mothra, Gorath, and Matango. Gorath, by the way, um, I think is where we borrowed some footage from that movie that was used for the exploding planet scenes in... Uh, Doomsday? Doomsday Machine, yeah. Shizuko Azuma played Party Goer. Uh, he was also in Dreams and Seven Samurai. Teruko Mita played an activist. Mita was also in Gigantus and Mothra. Kenji Sahara played Young Lover on The Sound. He's in lots more Godzilla sequels. Kaiji Sakakita played Mayor Inada. He's in Seven Samurai, Rodan, and Mothra. Ryosaku Takasugi played Gojira um, and is back to play Godzilla in... Is there a third Godzilla? Maybe this is um, the puppeteer or something for the hand. I don't know. There's three people credited as Gojira now. Yu Fujiki played Aiko Maru Sailing Vessel Wireless Communications Officer. He was in Hidden Fortress and Throne of Blood. Shigeo Kato played JSDF with Spotlight, leader of Crowd Escaping, uncredited. He was in Seven Samurai and Dreams for Kurosawa, and lots of Godzilla sequels on the way to playing a janitor in 2000's Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. Akio Kusama played Otoshima Islander. He's in lots of Kurosawa films like Seven Samurai, High and Low, Yojimbo, as well as another handful of Godzilla sequels. So a lot of these people were considered like royalty, basically, right. that they were like, oh, you were in Godzilla, so we need to bring you back for this sequel. Um, and obviously, because of Ishiro Hana's connections to Kurosawa, they usually came from that stable or continued working with Kurosawa down the line. But uh, it's interesting because this Godzilla series and the Kurosawa films are most of the films from japan that made it overseas ever right, right. like if if you ask someone if they've seen a japanese movie it's 98 percent either a kurosawa film or a godzilla movie and they're all made by a lot of the same people and uh it's just interesting that a monster movie because kurosawa his films are all considered such like prestige mm -hmm. like high class art and godzilla <laughs> feels like populist fair they are mad films if yeah. you will exactly what like kurosawa i make mad films okay i don't make films but if they did they'd have a samurai or a godzilla or a godzilla yeah. <laughs> yes um yeah that's godzilla everybody i really like it i look forward to talking about more of them eventually um i don't know what the next one would be but we'll get there i think that's everything for godzilla or gojira Thanks again to Michael Burgett for their generous contribution to the show. If there's any title you'd like us to review, our top Patreon tier includes a custom review of any pre-1980 title. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever you choose. We leave you now with a trailer for Gojira.
ますます起こるばかりだ100万年前に生息したキラキの大怪獣ゴジラ水爆実験はついに背景用に眠る大怪獣の怒りをかけた放射能を発し白熱の海溝を吐きながらゴジラは東京へ攻撃した僕は反対ですまだわしは気まぐれに言ってるんではないよあのゴジラは世界中の学者は誰一人として見ていない日本だけに現れた貴重な研究を知らずしかし先生だからといってあの凶暴な怪物をあのままほっとくわけにはいきません君までがゴジラを抹殺しようというのかバカな素人のあなた一人を海の中に放り込みますか俺が死なない限りどんなことで再び使用する立場に追い込まれないと誰が断言できるもしもそれが恐ろしい目的に使用されたとしたら青年科学者セリザーが秘めた恐るべき発明とはゴジラの恐怖から脱出する難民の群れ。